Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I'm reporting from the second annual Tulip Emerging Technology Conference. And in this show, I've got John Wolpert of Consensus, who also was very instrumental in the foundation of Hyperledger, the industrial blockchain. And so this show is all about enterprise blockchain. So don't go away. In this week's tech news, and for all of you mobile device addicts like me out there, do you think that you've adapted another bone in your body? Well, a researcher, David Shahar, of the University of the Sunshine Coast, Australia, gave an interview to BBC that says he's discovered something called an external occipital perturbance, otherwise known as a lump in the back of the head. And it's one that you didn't have before. So it's showing up in particular in millennials and younger that due to all of the looking down at your device, that there is a new bone growing in your body. MIT announced that they have built an artificial intelligence tool that can detect breast cancer up to five years earlier than um, ordinary methods. And this is actually a really great use of artificial intelligence, um, especially for minorities who sometimes get skewed. And we've talked about it in the past of the shows, these algorithmic biases. So apparently, in the traditional methods, certain minority groups, African-American women, um, were not able to detect breast cancer as accurately as Caucasian women. But with this artificial intelligence tool, it's able to predict for any woman uh, early detection of breast cancer, and again, up to five years earlier. Ransomware continues to be in the news and cities continue to be hit. We had talked about Atlanta last year and Baltimore this year. Baltimore still, after two months, still struggling with recovering from the ransomware incident. There's a city in Florida, Riviera Beach, that the city council unanimously voted to pay a $600,000 ransom uh, versus trying to not pay and remedi- remediate this themselves. Now, we've had previous shows with security experts who always, including the FBI, suggest never to pay the ransomware, but we're finding that more and more companies think that they need to, or cities need to think that they need to, in order to um, ensure their data gets restored. Finally, in this week's tech news, and a story I've been following for months, Quadrica, the Canadian cyber exchange, crypto exchange, where their founder had died under mysterious circumstances in India and apparently had the only keys to restore people's um, $150 million worth of Ethereum and Bitcoin, it turns out that through ENY and the actual audit the Canadian government has asked them to do, that it does appear that this individual was actually stealing funds in cryptocurrencies from their customers. And it is still not sure how they're ever going to get that back, but they just had an official report that that's what looked like it happened. And that's the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Again, I'm joined with John Wolpert of Consensus. Welcome, John. Hi. Hi, Keith. How are you? Hey, John. Thanks again for being at Tulip, and thanks again for kicking off our show. What's it been like so far? 
it was terrific um, how the um, the first day went off with um, with some of the folks that that um, had really interesting things to say about uh, blockchain and government. Five um, G was was really interesting, and our little panel was was fun, right? So getting under the underneath the the covers of some of these claims about what blockchain does and doesn't do, what 5G does and doesn't do. Uh, we had an opportunity really to talk straight. Well, great. And, and, you know, I wanted to take a moment because you've just had a, a very rich career, um, even before Consensus. What was that like? Because I know you were heavily involved at IBM, and I wanted you to you know, go more into detail about that. Sure. Uh, I've been at IBM three times. Uh, since the mid '90s, I was uh, I started my first company in advertising in the late '80s, early '90s, and then uh, uh, which was sort of a tech advertising company uh, before digital advertising, and then um, you know run a couple of firms uh, since then. Um, most recently, my my last startup was uh, Flywheel, the uh, first cars on a map yeah. um, ride sharing service for taxis. So who knew that uh, we were going to get run over by not taxis? But uh, we were like, hey, we thought we were audacious. Well, you know, let's end the era of the invisible driver. And then somebody else said, hey, why don't we end drivers? <laughs> that was uh, uh, that was fun. Um, but uh, then, yeah, uh, I've been at IBM for three times. And the last time, uh, my, my old boss, Jerry Cuomo, said, hey, Lewis, it's Clark. Uh, you want to, you know, this is blockchain thing. You, you want to go check it out? And I said, well, yeah, sure. Um, but uh, you know, give me a chip, chip and crew, and I'll go look at it. And he, and he said, "Well, I got a canoe, three muskets, and a dog." So, <laughs> uh, we, we, Jerry Cuomo was on my show um, late last year, and as a reminder, Jerry, having been the CTO of WebSphere and then really the CTO of the Hyperledger Fabric, uh, what did you? What was it like being in the midst of that right when this blockchain thing was happening? So. About six or seven of us. Jerry, uh, John Cohn is another IBM fellow who's super fun. Uh, great guy to talk to. He's more, more IoT. You know, hung, hung out with Cisco a lot. Um, John Cohn, Jerry, myself, a guy named Nitin Gower, who's amazing. And um, some other folks that we brought in, like Preston Byrne. Yeah. In the basement of the Galvanized down down on here. Um, yep. Right? On Howard Street. It was brand new. My friend Rachel Reinitz had just started the IBM Garage in there, which has now become a big thing. Yeah. And I was helping her out with that. And we we, we got a broom, practically a broom closet down there in the basement of Galvanize. And that is the birthplace of IBM blockchain and fabric. And we were talking to people about Ethereum. We were talking to one of the guys that worked for me, uh, Henning Dietrich, uh, was really into Ethereum. And uh, we were going to go in that direction. And um, we did for like a whole summer in 2015. We went uh, in the direction of seeing if we could really kind of become, if, if, if Ethereum could be our ver- our next Java, right? So Java, mid-90s. When I came yeah. to IBM the first time, I was on the Java team. And so I, I have in my bones this idea that we can be the rich uncle to somebody else's thing. <laughs> And we thought, hey, hey, you know, we didn't invent it, but we can get behind it. Yeah, of course. And we went down that road and quickly realized that the the priorities of the Ethereum Foundation core developers were not on the things that we were really interested in, um, or, or rather the things that we were fascinated with, especially confidentiality. And that's different than privacy. Confidentiality, um, that is, you know, who gets to execute a, uh, the code. 
right, uh, in order to validate. Um, the segregating that, I hate that word, but, you know, keeping, keeping if, if, if I'm shuffling cards in my private deck, and, or, or I'm uh, arranging my cards to play a hand, how I arrange those cards right. can tell you a lot about my tactics. Right. And if you are validating that code, yes. it means you know something about me that maybe I don't want you to know. So we, we had those kinds of things to, to think about. And those would have really been a distraction to the Ethereum Foundation at that time. So we said, hey, you know, we, we know a few things about distributed systems, uh, databases, and crypto. Uh, why don't we, or cryptography specific, specifically, yeah. um, why don't we play a hand? And we did, and that was the creation of, uh, of uh, what became Fabric. We called it Open Blockchain, and then we called it OBC, and then we called it something else. And then finally, one of the guys that worked for me, I think it was Mark Parzignac, just named the repo Fabric. Uh, because he'd heard me, I think, say something about how it's a fabric. It's not a platform. It's a fabric. And that's how it became fabric. <laughs> didn't go through marketing. Didn't go through me. Didn't go through. Yeah, you know, it was just a, just a guy doing his job, naming the repo. Came from DevOps. Well, well John, um, thanks for going into your history and the history of fabric. Uh, I want you to stick around because I want to actually talk about what you're doing now with Consensus. Mm-hmm. So thanks again for being here. Uh, don't go away. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Any questions or comments about what we're talking about today, email us at info at svn.biz. You can find me on Facebook, keithkoo.sv, or on LinkedIn, Keith Koo. And we'll be right back with more Don't Go Away. For questions or comments on today's program, call one 828 7846 That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Insiders, welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Talking to you live at the second annual Tulip Conference, Emerging Technologies. I'm once again joined with John Wolpert, who is the product executive and seeker of awesomeness, that's a real title, at Consensus. Welcome back, John. It's good to be here. So, John, in our first segment, uh, we were talking about your history and the history with Hyperledger Fabric. And it was really that question about divergence. But now I wanted to ask you about why would somebody in your position, I mean, Fabric was doing really well, what would make you and Joe Lubin decide to go back to convergence and go towards Ethereum? Well, I mean, when Joe Lubin calls you and says, hey, you want to start companies on the next internet, you say yes. Right? So <laughs> there was no chance. I remember going to, to, my, to Jerry Cuomo with, with that. I'm like, Jerry, I can't say no to this deal. And he's like, no, you can't say no to that. And he's like, you know, let's, let's stay close. And, and we did. So we're, we're all friends. And, and part of the reason why Joe, I think, and I were able to, you know, go to that thing in 2017 was that from the very beginning, we all, we all kept it clean and we all kept it respectful of each other. It was like playing on a soccer team against a team that you like. Yeah, uh, run by coaches that knew good sportsmanship, and that's really Joe and Jerry. They're really two of the finest people I've ever worked with in my career in 35, uh, 30 years. Yeah, I, I've not had the pleasure of meeing Joe, but Jerry is a great guy, and I've heard a lot about Joe. So and I'm better for having worked for them. Um, I've gotten the benefit of both sides of this thing, and that's a really interesting and kind of unique position to be in, you know, building the one thing. And I remember leaving... Uh, IBM going, I hope I didn't just build the thing that's not going to kick my own butt, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, at least on the enterprise side, right? And sure enough, Fabric has done extraordinarily well, uh, you know, in in this particular kind of market. Now, the problem was, is, you know, at the end of the day, we sold enterprise on a lot of ideas that, you know, I think were correct, but they needed to be understood in nuanced ways. 
And of course, senior executives, they're not dumb. They're just busy running 400,000 people. Right. And they don't have time to be smart about your thing. So there's no dumb people. They're just people desperately being smart about something else. Right. But they can be kind of not nuanced in their understanding of blockchain. So you'll hear a lot of the po- you know, pointy-hair managers, as, as, the, as Dilbert, Dilbert might say, yep. um, yeah, which you know, really is a little over, unnecessarily disrespectful because they really are. They're doing their best. And they've got a, other hard jobs, right? But that, that, that's a fascinating thing, right? And I wanted you to talk about, to the listener, what consensus is. Because yeah, yeah. when we talk about the enterprise executives, and there have been a lot of failed attempts at enterprise blockchain. Well, that's just, and, and it's failed because we, you know, it, it's, you know, there, this is a battle of philosophies, right? There's, there's different kinds of philosophies, and you un, they all require some nuanced understanding. So uh, it, it is true that blockchain is more secure if what you mean by secure is tamper resistant. It is not as secure as anything we uh, any other thing. E- all things being equal, if you've got, I mean, yeah, you can put a blockchain on a and an encrypted mainframe, you know, sitting in you know double air gap, blah blah blah. You can do that. You can make it secure, but you could take a traditional database and make it more secure um, than that yes. on the same infrastructure, right? So it's it, all things being equal, blockchains are not as secure for surveillance resistance, right? Well, by definition, I, I, I can multiply the number, I can multiply my risk of a data breach by the number of companies in the consortium in a private blockchain. So I, I often say, you know, blockchains are nudist colonies. It's only, <laughs> the only difference between a private blockchain and a public blockchain is whether you're on a private beach or a public beach, right? If you have access to the beach, you get to see everybody in their That's birthday suit. I've never right? heard that analogy, but I'm going to remember that one well, for sure. I think it's apt. It's a little <laughs> funny, but it, but it's it's apt, right? Because yeah, it, it, all of my yes. store procedures, chain code or smart contracts, are executed by everybody on either that fabric channel or that court of flow. Court is actually a little bit better for this sort of thing. This particular thing, Court has got it kind of nailed. And then, um, you know, certainly uh, Ethereum, public Ethereum. Anybody who is involved in maintaining the integrity of that ledger is validating the code, and therefore they can execute the code. If they can execute the code, that means they can decompile the code. If they can decompile the code, that means they can understand your business rules. So if if, if we're in a supply chain and we say, oh, isn't it wonderful that we can track your bad mango all the way back to the source. Well, yeah, that's great. And they say, oh, I can do that in two minutes, in two, in under in under two seconds. I'm like, yeah, if you build it on a Mongo database, you can do it under two milliseconds. Right. It's not, you know, that's not interesting. What was interesting, the novelty was that mango grower will put their data on the blockchain or on your database because you're going to put them on stage with Ginny Rometty in Vegas. <laughs> not because... Not because they they get it; they don't understand what's going so, on. So back to your because uh, you know, uh, back to your pointy hair boss um, reference, right? Yeah. So, the, so the, 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 the problem with that yeah. is they're, that we're doing dumb things, or because of our not nuanced understanding. We're like, oh, blockchains are more secure. Let's do it on a blockchain. Well, no, it's a terrible idea. If what you're worried about is surveillance, if you're worried about not even your own people tampering with the record. Then it's that might be a good thing, but even then, if we're in that network, right, that Mango network, or say prescription drugs, right, um, yeah, we all need to know where the drugs are. So we're all going to be in a group of companies that know where the drugs are, and the regulator or somebody can track it if there's an epidemiological problem that you know some tainted drugs got out and now they're at a CVS somewhere, but you need to find where all of them are. Yes. 
that's a good thing to have, you know, as a common piece of information. The problem is that, that the systems that give you that information, the inventory control systems, that are probably on, say, SAP or Oracle Apps or some custom system, are not going away, first of all. And B, there's a lot of stuff going on in there that absolutely should not be put into a nudist colony. For example, if I'm a, a pharmaceutical, I won't name a, any particular ones, but if I'm a ph- pharmaceutical and you're a, the wholesaler, yes, you and I have really intricate deal about under what terms and conditions my these drugs are going to move from warehouse A to warehouse B. Right? right. Now, once it gets to B, right, the state of that shipment data updates to now at B. Okay, well, maybe the other companies in the in the supply chain and the regulator need to know B. They don't need to know anything else. Yeah. They should not know how and why, you know, okay, I'm going to say, well, I'll give you 20% off if it gets yeah, there two hours late, but you're going to do this for me. Right. And that deal, that agreement is not only confidential, the existence of the deal is confidential. As you know, you've done deals between yeah, companies. Absolutely. So what we need is a system that can do sort of like in a card game. I've got cards that are in my hole, my hole cards, right? You're not supposed to see those. When I throw a card, we all get to see that. So we have private state. We have, like in a a game of bridge, you and I might have Mm -hmm. bilateral state, right? We need to be able to know how, we need to be able to coordinate what tricks we're going to throw, right, against the other team. But the other team's not supposed to know about that stuff. So we can't put that on a blockchain with all of us in it. Otherwise, we would be playing with all the cards face up and with all of our strategies known to everyone. That's a terrible idea for playing a game. And business is like that. So we have business like a card game. Is a, a is a tactical system where you have some information shared and some information not shared. Blockchain is one tool, exactly in that in that tool shed. Right when we need to have shared state, we need a basically a common bulletin board to say, "Yep, here's the ace. Everybody see the ace? We got the ace." And that's how we use cryptographic proofs and other things to put that on. But the, yeah, so I think of the blockchain and really as the correct tool to to sort of be have an update for an internet scale um, always on military grade tamper resistant message bus so i've been calling it the magic message bus did i just hear a magic message bus john will be speaking a lot more about what the magic message bus means but i think it's a good time to give a quick reminder that when it comes to blockchain a lot of Confusion comes around the term of security because we often think about information security. And with the blockchain, what we're talking about is really securing the contents. So if I use the analogy of a tamper-resistant medicine bottle, the medicine can certainly be tampered with. But what you want to make sure is that the bottle wasn't tampered so you don't have to worry that the medicine inside of it was also tampered. And that's really what these use cases are. So don't go away. We'll be right back with more with John Wolpert from Consensus. You can always email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, reporting back from Tulip. Emerging Technologies Conference, and joined with John Wolpert, Senior Product Executive, Seeker of Awesomeness, a real title, at Consensus. He was just talking about the magic message bus in the last segment, 
and we're going to continue on with that conversation. There are a lot of details that have to, to, to go into making it really satisfying, but I just need to be faster than an email, right, or, or, or a voice right. conversation confirmation, right? As long as I'm faster than that, I can wait four minutes for a lot of supply chain things. Where I say, yeah, I'm going to post uh, warehouse is now B. I'm placing that card. I'm writing B on a post-it note. I'm putting a topic on there, and everybody that's listening for that topic now can see that it's at B. All of my internal private data is still private. All of my business logic between me and you is confidential between me and you. Nobody needs to see that. All anybody needs to see is B, warehouse B. And then that's going to trip off a new set of uh, private confidential agreements. And none of those actually have to be on a blockchain. They could be, but they don't have to be. And saying, hey, you know what? A really boring but useful use of the blockchain is as a message bus. People still think of even Bitcoin and blockchain being interchangeable. And we talked about the, the hype cycle and how we had the trial of disillusionment and now we're coming back to the resurgence. Everything you're saying resonates with me. I think many enterprises and executives are still struggling with what blockchain means ultimately for the organization. Right, it's just a useful tool. Put the tool in the, in the, in the kit, use it properly, use the right tool for the right job, right? If you are really worried about surveillance resistance, then put that, you know, put it on a traditional database, an air gap behind a really good system admin uh, in a mainframe with end-to-end encryption. If you are really, really worried about everybody tampering, including yourself, then you might want to have that that, that set of messages on, on a blockchain. And, and, and yeah, we need to be able to really end this era, 50 years of Byzantine, balkanized, bespoke system integration. This is really exciting. Right. And, and I think it's an easier sell than whatever we were selling in 2015 around, you know, hey, get on the enterprise blockchain, it's cool. Like, no, no, stop spending so much money on system integration. That's a better message. If I'm a CEO, I get that message. Stop spending so much money on unnecessary bespoke, Byzantine, complicated, balkanized, siloed uh, system integration where i got to keep on reinventing the wheel over and over and over again. No, wouldn't it be nice if at least part of that was consistent? Sort of the way in 1992, I remember you know, being involved in, in big system integrations where we were having to write you know how the servers were dialing each other mm-hmm. up and coordinating, and now and then a couple of years later it was just HTTP and it was done, right? And we th- and think about it, that was a really inefficient way of doing it. The internet's pretty inefficient. Yes, the way packets go around, it's inefficient, but it's way more efficient than me having to write it bespoke over and over again, right? We were like, oh yeah, well our way is so much more efficient for for getting information between servers. Yeah, it was, but it wasn't standard. So I think that's what's going to happen here is we're going from a stateless internet, which is what we have since 1969, is a stateless internet, routers passing packets. You know, there's no memory involved. Right. It's just passing, 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 passing. A stateful internet is, and of course, because of that, we need farms of servers that people run to do things like Facebook or, or Oracle or you know, any, of the, any of those things, right? Clouds. That's None of that's going away. Um, all we want to do is take a little bit of the, those attributes of the of that stateless internet that or the, the, the server that server control and to say you know what a lot of this we can actually now push into the common sort of commons right that, that just like the internet was 
um, originally, you know, before the internet, we would have companies owning. I mean, back in the 60s when I was born, uh, IBM had transporter data flows locked up, mm-hmm. which meant, you know, things were running over IBM's machines. We There was a famous story I remember studying in college of uh, the U.S. government telling IBM to stop data flows to a French company's uh, operation because they were, I don't know, if I remember correctly, they were t- talking inappropriately to the Soviets or something, I don't know. <laughs> but, they, but they just shut them down, stopped them. And they, they, we had complete control over that system. Well, today, yeah, you have companies who have complete control of the, over a server or a cloud, mm-hmm. and you have to trust them not to do anything you don't want them to do. Well, um, uh, there are whole companies I could point to that stopped existing or became less profitable because the company they relied on as a platform decided to change their policies. Oh, absolutely. Happens all the time, right? Yeah. So wouldn't it be nice if at least some, not, not, all, not all of that's going to go away. There are lots of reasons why that still hangs around. Nothing goes away, really. But we can start to take some of that stuff and push it into the stack, into the internet, and say, yeah, we can actually maintain state in some ways. We can have memory. We can use things like storage or uh, you know, IPFS and other, other things so that we decentralize I, I don't. I try not to use the word decentralize without qualifying it because it's become a word that just sort of doesn't mean anything. So when I say decentralize, I mean uh, you know making it really hard for a small group of people to get control over the tr- the, uh, the truth of the system. Right. So um, in fact, uh, you know, I think uh, my friend uh, Brian Bellendorf, you know, uh, wonderful manager, the, the executive of uh, Hyperledger. Um, for the Linux Foundation. And Brian says, hey, you know, I, I like Ethereum too, but I want it to be more decentralized. And I'm like, hey, you know what we ought to do? And I'm going to start to propose this. We ought to get companies and governments starting to run public miners really? and, and stakers as identified miners and stakers, right? So uh, think about this. It's a great idea. Right? I mean, if, if, if we have... I totally get it. Yeah. Say just... For numbers' sake, fifty percent of all the Ethereum, um, all the entities maintaining the integrity of the public ledger, were known entities, and fifty percent were unknowable entities. Right? Yeah. Then you have the best of two worlds. I think I could be wrong, but it strikes me that I might not be, um, because if you, if if you have a hundred companies maintaining the integrity of a ledger, and that ledger gets the ordering on a billion dollar transaction wrong. And it and it's materially going. To, it changes that trend. You know, like I was going to pay you, and uh, the, the ordering was wrong, yeah. right? Um, I can sue a hundred companies just fine, right? That's easy. Uh, it's almost easier than than one company in some ways, right? But if half the entities maintaining the integrity of the ledger are unknowable, and half are knowable, well, then you then you the half that are knowable or that are known. Uh, tested, uh, verified entities, then you worry less about some nefarious group getting control of the world and playing Dr. Evil. On the other hand, you can't sue the existing, the, the known companies because it's not 100% their fault. <laughs> so it'd be like suing the internet. Right. And I think that's an interesting property for some things because you, you want to have accountability on lots of things, but at the base layer, the final settlement layer, at the you know, of the internet, you want something that's extraordinarily decentralized, hard to get, hard for one or more entities to kind of get rogue control over, and that's and you want that big slow moving gear. 
to be connected to all the faster moving gear. So you have like EOS and you have um, you have uh, Cosmos or, or Tendermint uh, and other kinds of blockchains. And then you also have just non-blockchains. All of these can kind of gear into this big, slow-moving consistency machine. Eventual consistency machine. And by the way, it has to be an eventual consistency machine. It can't be a, a one-block finality machine because then you could not, you know, laws of physics basically just determine that that's going to be a small group of people maintaining it. If you want a, a massive number of parties, known and unknown, maintaining the integrity of a system, then it has to be a probabilistic. Um, you know, we're talking a little bit tech now. Rather than executive, but yeah, it has to be a probabilistic machine. It can't be a, f- a instant finality machine, right? Now you might want lots of instant finality machines in there. I think Tendermint's a perfectly good one-block finality blockchain. If you want that for like a game or something like that, it's fast, terrific, right? But then I want that pinned and rooted to something that's a little bit more um, stable, right? Because I can I can still get control of that thing. Yeah, we definitely have seen that, John. Thank you so much for being here today. Final thoughts on near-term prediction it was really resonating with me when you were talking about your, your stories. You were referring to Hyperledger in 2015, Ethereum and Consensus in 2017. I mean, these are very short periods of time, but it's been really long periods of time in the development of this space. I oh, want yeah. to get your the next one or two years, which is actually a very long time. So I, I've got a tip for everybody about, about how to determine time and blockchain time. And I think it's more, again, more nuanced, right? Now that we've all learned how to spell blockchain in the last four years, we should start to get a little bit more nuanced in our thinking, including in the executive suite, right? And I think it's time. And that's really my, my message is, hey, look, let's be a little more nuanced about which tools we use for what things. And it's time for us to converge. We need to converge. We need, we've got public. Brian Bellendorf said it really well last night uh, at a meetup. He said, you know, uh, public and private are really just two parts of the same kind of the same uh, continuum and and in fact public and private I think will go away as concepts at the network level why would you want to have to stand up a network I mean, imagine having to stand up an internet for every web page that you had to serve right and it's a terrible idea you want to be able to have public or private transactions you want confidential or open contracts and you want them to be able to define their scope across any set of ledgers or databases or systems or you know that that are that, that they need to go across if i need to settle up in ether but i want why i'm settling up to be private i should be able to do that i should be able to go and you and i can do some stuff right and then say okay we're going to settle up over here in in a public environment or you know what have you so we need to have that kind of scope flexibility, and that's, I think, where we're going now. So we were in divergence mode until now. I think 2020 is going to start to see convergence come to us, and that's the fun part because that's when we stop having to war with each other about everything. We start to say, hey, we can work together as, as, as colleagues, and that's, that's a more fun place to be. I, I hate it when humans get too excited about their own flags. And, and I totally agree with your vision. I, I think that's really where we're headed. So once again, John Wolpert of Consensus, Seeker of Awesomeness, thank you for being here again. Thanks, man. It's good to see you. Once again, I'd like to thank John Wolpert of Consensus. He's been in the enterprise blockchain space a really long time between Hyperledger and Consensus, and a lot of great content on why or why not to use a blockchain as you think about adopting this for your organization. Next up, we're going to have the pivot, and I'm going to be talking about Facebook's 
big announcement that they're getting into the quote-unquote cryptocurrency business with Libra. So stay tuned for that. If you want to get a hold of me, Keith Koo on LinkedIn, KeithKoo.sv on Facebook, and we'll be right back with more. Don't go away. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. We're now entering the pivot segment, and joining me in the studio is my executive producer, Tess Phelan. Hi, Tess. <laughs> Hi, Keith. And we're here today to talk about one of the biggest pivots announced this week, which is Facebook, per the headlines, is getting into cryptocurrency with a consortium named Libra. And Tess had a lot of questions, so I wanted to cover it. So Tess, thanks again for being here. You know, you're welcome. I was asking Keith as he came in today to produce the show, why is Facebook getting into cryptocurrency? It's a great question, and there's a lot of speculation. So I can't pretend to know exact reason why Facebook's getting into cryptocurrency, but I can speculate because there's been a lot of news out there that on one hand, Facebook being a company wants to get on a transformative technology solution that they can help power. So I'll compare it to the Chinese have an application called WeChat. WeChat is already for many users all over Asia and other parts of the world. You can do digital payments through that. It's not built on a blockchain like Facebook is putting their Libra on, but it is a form of digital payments. Yes, but isn't it Facebook that just had all the press about getting hacked? So why would I be interested in buying a crypto a coin from Facebook when I have no idea about their security? Well, there's several ways to look at this. And um, let me step back. So one of the biggest news items is that the government, the U.S. government and the EU are very concerned that Facebook is getting into the cryptocurrency business because of all the privacy concerns that you're raising. And so if you, they can't secure, well, they don't believe they can secure people's data, then how would it be a good idea that they would be using this as a cryptocurrency? So <laughs> That's right. So um, parking that for a second, imagine that you're in a third world country that's not yet served by the Chinese and WeChat and you don't have a reliable currency of your own, um, so say Venezuela or somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa, mm -hmm. um, hyperinflation is still a thing. Well, Facebook's basically saying that we can offer a platform to trade goods and services where it, the transaction fees will be less because the traditional 2.9% with a MasterCard or Visa, PayPal, or Stripe, um, we can mitigate some or all of that because we own the ecosystem. And um, in addition to that, there isn't any foreign exchange fees. Now, this is going to be a very interesting aspect of Facebook trying to convince or working with the concept of financial regulators. And, and who's going to manage it at Facebook? That just, it just seems, um, I don't know. I well, mean, Facebook has a history of having problems with getting hacked. Now they're going to get into the cryptocurrency market. Now they're going to be offering this as a service, a platform service, to sub-Saharan uh, continents. Who's going to make sure that Facebook does what it says it's going to do? Well, there... I, I think in terms of who's going to regulate them, there's existing regulators that Facebook already deals with, and then uh, most of the financial regulatory authorities will get involved. 
one of the interesting aspects of what Facebook is doing is what other smaller blockchain and cryptocurrency startups have attempted. So the first concept is a stable coin. So one of the things I like to compare is that where Bitcoin is considered to be digital gold because it's decentralized, meaning that there's a thought that nobody can own Bitcoin, nobody controls the network, and therefore it's finite. So therefore it's a, there's only a limited number of Bitcoins that will ever be mined, so it's more like gold. What Facebook is creating is digital dollars. And this is a stable coin. They've stated that it's a stable coin, which means that they intend that every one of their Facebook tokens, Libra, will be backed by an actual U.S. dollar. On top of that, in terms of the regulation, they're actually creating a nonprofit foundation that will actually administer all the things that go along with um, this as a quote-unquote cryptocurrency. And some of the largest companies in the world are jumping on board already. So you have Visa, you have PayPal, you have Uber and Lyft. I mean, Spotify, all these companies already are saying that they want to be able to transact in these Libra or Facebook tokens. Okay, I I still find myself very suspicious of a Facebook. Okay, so in other words, if it's a secure coin based upon the current value of the American dollar, mm-hmm. then what happens if the American dollar drops? Well, it's still an American dollar, just like in foreign exchanges all around the world, dollar relative to a British pound, relative to a euro, it still fluctuates with that. The, the concept, though, which you're asking is what happens if, worst case, the U.S. becomes um, a devalued currency, hyperinflated currency, what have you, and it's not stable itself. So the thought is because the U.S. dollar is one of the or the most stable currency that Facebook tying themselves to U.S. dollar, that they will always stay pegged to a dollar. Got it. Um so if you bought this Libra at twenty a dollar and the dollar devalues by eighty five percent, then you basically lose fifty. I mean, by you lose eighty five percent of the value of what you paid for. Yeah, but it, it, it's in essence still a dollar. It happens it. every day now with other currencies. Okay, um, I thank think, you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I wanted to say this is really in my mind, and I've said it many times. This is really like frequent flyer miles. Chuck E. Cheese tokens. This is. <laughs> yeah, Facebook would love that. Chuck E. Cheese tokens. Well, that's really what this is, right? These are uh, digital assets. And so I'm sure we can cover this a lot more. I think it's a really fascinating space. It, it's proving again and again that as much as people are wary of cryptocurrencies, blockchain as technology is going forward. Facebook, a multi, multi billion dollar company, is invested in it and the whole ecosystem, and we'll stay on top of it. So thanks again for being on Silicon Valley Insider this week, Tess. And thank you for answering my questions. If you have any questions or comments about what we talked about today, Facebook and Libra, email us at svn.biz and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's one 888 828-7846, 888-828-SVIN. 